have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to Psalm 10? We've begun a sermon series entitled, A Prayer Primer, looking at some of the great prayers in the book of Psalms and learning from them how we can pray more effectively. I am convinced if our nation is to survive, if our nation is going to avoid being buried in the graveyard of fallen empires, it's going to be because of prayer. I believe if our church is going to withstand the hurricane forces of apostasy and apathy that's coming, it's going to be because of prayer. I believe if your home and my home is going to stand the devastation that is coming its way, it will be because of prayer. If you and I are going to stand for Jesus and what may well be the final days of history, it's going to be because of prayer. Prayer is our survival, much more our thrival. And so in Psalm 10, we're going to be looking at one of David's prayers. David was a man after God's own heart. And we want to see his heart revealed in his prayer. The title of this message, A Prayer for a Crying Heart. Psalm 10. Let's look at just verse 1, but we'll be looking at the whole chapter a little bit later. David begins this prayer with some questions. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Now this begins what's called an imprecatory prayer. Imprecatory is a fancy word for a prayer where the prayee asks God to bring judgment against his enemies be they personal, national, or global. David is praying to the Lord, as we're going to see. He says, Lord, I've got personal enemies that are pressing against me. My country, Israel, has enemies pressing against it. This whole world that I live in is engulfed in evil and wickedness and lawlessness. Lord, would you please do something about it? Would you bring swift, immediate, devastating judgment against these wicked ones? As we look at this prayer, it's going to be like opening an oven that's 500 degrees Fahrenheit. You, we're going to get blasted with the fury, the heat, if you will, of David's prayer to God for judgment. Now, David had some questions. As he looked at his own life and those that were around him that were causing him trouble, as he looked at his nation and those nations around his nation that were causing that Israel trouble, as he looked at his world and saw the evil ones and the wicked ones and the lawless ones that were causing so much trouble, he says, how long, O Lord? 
will you allow this evil to run rampant? How long, O Lord, will you stand by and do nothing? How long, O Lord, will you watch the wicked abuse the righteous? How long, O Lord, will you allow this evil world just to keep going on and on and on? How long, O Lord? Have you ever asked those questions? When your enemies have been pressing you, have you ever said, Lord, how long? As we look at the enemies facing the United States of America, do we as Americans say, how long, Lord? As we look at the wicked world that's around us, how long, Lord, will you allow all of this to keep going on and on and on? As we look at Psalm 10, three things I want to lay on your heart. First of all, again, we're going to think about the questions that David declared. Now remember, look up at me. This is not just about David, is it? It's about you and me. Verse 1, questions declared. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself from me in times of trouble? David was a fascinating man, and by the way, we're preaching about his life every Sunday night. But I believe one of the things that made David a man after God's own heart was he didn't beat around the bush and mince words whenever he talked to God. David was brutally honest and boldly direct when he approached God. God, why are you AWOL, absent without leave? God, why are you MIA, missing in action? God, why are you R&R? Why are you on rest and recreation? When I'm in trouble and my nation's in trouble and this world's in trouble. Lord, where are you at? Why are you silent? Why are you still? Lord, where are you at? Lord, you say you're a personal God. That you'll always be with me. Even to the end. And I can't see you, I can't touch you, I can't hear you. You're 10,000 miles away from me. And Lord, you say you're a powerful God. But all I see is your weakness and your impotence. Lord, you say you're just. But I see all this wickedness running wild and I don't see any justice. You say you're a providing God, Lord, but you haven't met my need. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? That's pretty honest. That's pretty direct. That's what David's saying. God, where are you at? Where are you at? You can't see God, I'm hurting. You can't see my nation's in trouble. You can't see this world is falling apart. Where are you at, God? God, I want you to come and do something right now. 
tired of waiting, God. I want answers to my questions. I want relief from my pain. I want deliverance for my nation. I want you to punish these enemies. I want compensation and restoration for all the tears and troubles I've been through. And Lord, I want all of it right now. Say, I, I can't believe he's talking to God like that. Have you ever talked to God like that? Oh, me, oh, my, no. But you've thought it, haven't you? Can I let you in on a little secret? God can read your mind just as well as he can listen to your words. He can discern your heart just as easily as he can listen to what you've got to say. And if we're, if we're honest this morning, every one of us have thought or felt or even verbally said those things. Lord, where are you at? Where are you at? Pastor, is not David being a little disrespectful, though? That's some pretty heavy stuff. I don't think so. I think the Lord likes us to be sincere and not be hypocrites. Because, you know, some of us pray like hypocrites. We, we tell God all is well, and it's not well with him. David understood some things that I think is important when he started asking God these questions. First of all, he understood that when you have a personal relationship with somebody, you can be open and you can be honest and you can be truthful. Are you listening to me? When you have a personal relationship with somebody, whether it be this way or this way, part of that relationship is you can be open and you can be honest and you can be truthful. You can say what you think. You can say what you feel. You can say it respectfully, but you can say it. David didn't have a religion. He had a relationship with the living God. And he came to God with openness and with honesty and with truthfulness when he prayed. With sincerity, not hypocrisy. And we would do well to do that too. He also was only doing what God said he could do. Because later in the word of God, we would learn that we are told to cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. When you go to the Lord, it's permissible to cast your cares upon him. That word cares means burdens, troubles, problems, aggravations, frustrations, questions, gripes, complaints, criticisms. He, can, he tells us to bring it all and unload it on him. And that's what David did. It's also interesting that David took all of this to God and God alone. This matter was between him and God. David didn't go complaining to his spouse. He didn't go whining to his children. He didn't show his frustration and aggravation to his family or his friends. David's problem was with God, and he kept it there. We live in a day and age when everybody wants to show everything they know and feel on media. 
When God does business with his people, he does it one-on-one. And David kept it that way. Lord, this is between you and me. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm bringing my cares to you. And Lord, I thank you that when I come to you, I can be open, I can be honest, and I can be truthful. Because that's what a healthy relationship is all about. I think it's also interesting to note that while God gave David permission to ask the questions, God didn't answer them. Throughout the Bible, God lets people ask questions. But very seldom does God answer them. He didn't answer them for Abraham. He didn't answer them for Joseph. He didn't answer them for Job. He didn't answer them for John the Baptist. He didn't answer them for David. He didn't answer them for his own son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God allows the questions, but he seldom answers them. But may I say to you, they will be answered. Not down here, up there. We'll understand it better by and by. So David asked the questions, poured out his heart to God. Where are you at? Why don't you do something? Now in verses 2 through 11, if you got your Bibles open, please follow. David goes from asking questions to complaining. He complains a little bit. Now, I want you to understand something in verses 2 through 11. David's complaints are immediate and they're prophetic. Many times in the scriptures, the writer will talk about something that he is going through, his nation's going through, something that's going on in the world of his day. But it also... He's looking ahead. He's got Superman vision, telescopic vision. And he's looking to another people, another time, another nation, another problem that he's going to address. So in verses 2 through 11, David is not only going to be talking about the enemies of his day, the renegade nations of his day, the global upheaval of his day that bothered him so much. But he's also talking about another day that will come when God's people will be equally troubled, when God's nation, God's church will be undergoing a tremendous persecution, when the world is going to be falling down and falling apart and falling away. And when all of this evil that David is seeing in his day is going to be personified in a person who's called the Antichrist. Now you say, Pastor, I, I, I don't see that in there. Well, I want you to see the word wicked. Do you see that in verse 2? 
the word wicked again in verse 3. The word wicked again in verse 4. That word wicked has an interesting translation. The literal translation is the lawless one. The lawless one in his pride does persecute the poor. The lawless one boasts of his heart's desire. The lawless one through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Is it just ironic, coincidental, accidental, that Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 describes the Antichrist, Satan, Superman, the last world dictator, as being the what? The lawless. So what David's saying is, Lord, I've got all this evil around me. Why aren't you doing something? And Lord, one day the people of God are going to have the evil one with them. Why aren't you going to do anything? So it has immediate and it also has prophetic implications. Now, in verses 2 through 11, if you follow, David is going to talk about what the evil is that's going on in his day. That's got him so upset, so frustrated, so aggravated. Why he's so mad at God, if you will, for not doing something. And verse 2, David talks about the arrogance and the haughtiness and the full of themselves people that lived in his day. You know anybody like that? <laughs> In verse 2, he talks about how the evil ones oppress the poor. They take advantage of the people who have the least. In verse 3, he talks about how they're driven by evil desires. Just follow with your eyes. In verse 3, he talks about how the evil ones bless the other evil ones at the expense of those that have nothing. Verse 3 talks about how they revile the Lord. He talks in verse 4 about how godless they are. He, verse 5, he talks about how they've got their wealth through injustice. In verse 5, he says they laugh at the laws of God. Verse 6, they have no fear. Verse 7, they curse and they lie continually. Verse 8, they attack the innocent and the defenseless. Verse 9, they look for victims to maim and to rob and to murder. They crush the defenseless and the innocent. Verse 10. And in verse 11, the final indictment, condemnation, if you will, they mock God himself. They laugh at God. They spit at God. They point their middle finger in the air at God and dare God to do something. Oh, the height of arrogance. David says, God, how long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to allow this evil, this wickedness, this lawlessness that's directed against me, your servant, against my nation, Israel, against all the righteous people of this world? How long are you going to put up with it, God? Maybe we today say the same thing. 
as we see things brought against us personally, things brought against the church of God, things coming against America and our world that seems just to be one big cesspool of evil. Maybe we ask that question ourselves when we see arrogant, self-serving politicians who are rich because they connive and steal and plunder from the tax player and our national treasury. Maybe we get just a little bit angry and upset when we see thugs on our streets and terrorists on the streets of other nations around the world and how they pillage and rape and murder without any conscience or compassion masses of people. Maybe we get a little aggravated ourselves when we see sleazy perverts selling children for sex so they can pad their pockets with money. Maybe we get a little angry ourselves when we see all these crooked legislators and judges letting the guilty off the hook and taking advantage of the victims. Maybe we feel that way sometimes when we see the immoral abortionists who murder babies for cash and then have the audacity to sell their body parts for additional profit. Many of you have been to the wall that pays tribute to our Vietnam men and women who died in defense of freedom in Southeast Asia. Many of you have been to the wall in Washington, D.C. and seen the 50,000 names that are there of men and women who gave their life for the cause of freedom. But do you know something? If they were to build a memorial to the babies that we have slaughtered in this nation, do you know how many names of babies there would be there? 67 million and growing. Sixty-seven million babies that we didn't even give a name, but God named them. They're in heaven with him right now. Doesn't it get you angry when you see the race baiters who stir up hatred among the races so they can be relevant and rich? Doesn't it just get you a little bit angry when you see all these wicked rulers and dictators and tin-horned despots who slaughter their people. They slaughter their own people because they don't like their class or their culture or their color or their Christian convictions. Now you get a little bit of idea why David is so upset. Why are you allowing this God to go on? and on, and on, and on, and it's only getting worse, and worse, and worse. Where are you at, God? I can't hear you, God. I can't touch you, God. I can't see you, God. Where are you at? heard the story about a little boy whose granddaddy brought him a, a cowboy book. Roy Rogers, or Gene Autry, or Hopalong Cassidy, somebody like that. And the little guy sat down and began to read the book. 
And he got through the first chapter and into the second chapter, and then he began to cry. The little fellow began to cry. The book was making him sad. He went to his mother, and she said, Son, why are you crying? He said, Mommy, it doesn't look good for the sheriff. The bad guys have tied him up. They've abducted his girlfriend. They tied up his dog. It doesn't look good, Mom. And the mom looked at her little crying boy, and she said, Son, come here. Let's turn to the last chapter of the book, and let's read it. And so the little boy read the last chapter of the book. And guess what? The sheriff got away. They found the dog. The girlfriend came back, and the bad guys were in jail. And he said, Mom, I like this book now. It's got a happy ending. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something. Sometimes the old book can make us a little bit sad. But when you start getting a little sad about what's going on in your life, in our nation's life, in our world's life, when you get a little bit upset about the wicked and the lawless and the evil just running rampant, turn to the last book, if you will. John says one day, this God of infinite patience and long-suffering, this God who's been silent, but he's not really been silent, this God who's been still, but he's not really been still, this God who's been working in the invisible is going to become visible. And one day his voice will be loud and clear, and one day everybody will see what he's going to do about it. John says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. His eyes were as flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite these evil nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He shall tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And this one who's coming to make wrong right, he has a name written on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of kings. He's coming. He's coming. Now David has prayed and said, Lord, I got a bunch of questions. And he asked them. And then he says, Lord, I got some complaints. And he gares them. He, he gives them to God. You know, the amazing thing about our God is he doesn't say be quiet when you have questions. He doesn't say be quiet with your complaints or go to see Keith. He says, bring your questions to me. I'm a big enough God. I can handle your questions. Bring your complaints to me. I'm a big enough God. I can deal with your complaints. And once we're through, he says, now you be quiet. 
because I'm going to now speak with my spirit into your life. And that's what he does with David. The questions, the complaints, are now going to be turned into faith. Verses 12 through 18. David is about to see his faith is going to be deeper. His, his faith is going to be deeper. He asked the questions and God didn't answer them. He gives his complaints and God doesn't explain anything. God just says, when you're through, be quiet and be still. And I will show you myself. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says the just shall walk by faith. Faith can't see. Faith can't hear. Faith can't touch. Faith doesn't understand. Faith simply says, I know that I know that I know the one who I'm directing the faith to. And I trust him. Our relationship with God is not based on revelation or explanation. It's based on faith. And that's what David comes to that conclusion, even as he's praying. It's a remarkable thing. As he's praying, he's angry. God, where are you at? Then he complains, God, why do you let these evil, wicked, lawless ones run wild? Look what they do. Bing, 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 bing. Lights it up like a ping pong. And then God ministers. Notice in verse 14, David says, Lord, I, I didn't think you, you saw me. I didn't think you knew what was going on. I thought you might be asleep. But in verse 14, he says, Thou hast seen it. You saw the mischief and the spite. You saw how the poor have been mistreated. You've seen it all, Lord. Lord, I'm sorry for questioning you. Because you did see. I just didn't know it. Even when you were silent, you saw. Even when you were silent, you heard. Even when you were silent, you were at work. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. The ears are open unto their cries. Then in verse 16, David says, Lord, not only do I believe that you see and hear, and are near even to the touch, though I cannot see it all. He says, I also believe that you're in control. I, I don't see, I don't understand it, Lord. It doesn't look like you're in control, but Lord, I acknowledge that you are in control. The Lord is king forever and ever. Now, where does the king sit on a... God is still on his throne, amen? He hasn't relinquished his throne to anybody. He's still on his throne. He's still in control. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Psalm 34, 16 and 17 says, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. 
The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. You see, David is having a a revelation now. God is saying to him, though you don't hear me, I'm there. Though you don't see me, I'm there. Though you can't touch me, I'm there. I'm with you. Never left you. (coughs) And even though you think all of this chaos and crookedness and corruption is running wild, I tell you, I'm on my throne. It's all going the way I want it to go. And one day I'll step in and do something about it, David. Don't be afraid of evil, David. Keep your heart fixed and trust me. Wow, that's pretty good. Ask your questions to your heart's content. Air your complaints to your horse. And God will listen. And he'll still love you. You're still his son and daughter. But when you're through, be quiet and be still. And allow his ministry to you to take place. And in doing so, your faith will increase on the journey of faith. He will give you the blessed assurance that you need to carry on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in Nazi Germany during the reign of Adolf Hitler. Toward the end of the war, he was arrested. He was arrested because he would not bend his knee to Nazi Germany. He said, I bend my knee to Jesus Christ. He would not high Hitler. He said, I high Jesus Christ. And the Germans didn't like it. And the Fuhrer ordered him, among others, to be arrested, locked up, isolated, confined, put in the hole, if you will. And Bonhoeffer would be there for two years. Though he was a man of God, just like David it was, sometimes when you're going through struggles and troubles, you don't always think like you should think and feel like you should feel. And sometimes your faith will get a little wobbly-legged. And Bonhoeffer experienced all of that. From his letters and his diaries and his archives that he left behind, we know that he asked God a lot of questions. And they were all questions, just like David asked. God, where are you at? Why aren't you doing something about all this? And then after a while, he began to complain to God. To complain to God about how hot it was and how cold it was where they put him, how little the food was and how bad the food was, how his companions were antagonists that were in jail with him. He began to complain to God, is this what I get for serving you? This. 
It got so bad for Bonhoeffer that he, in desperation, wrote his parents a letter. He said, Mom and Dad, I don't know if God loves me anymore. I don't know if my own family, my wife or children love me anymore. Mom and Dad, do you love me? Well, he sent a letter to his parents asking that, but you know something? They never replied. Days became weeks, weeks became months. And his parents that he wrote a letter to saying, do you love me? They never answered him. He kept asking the questions. He kept airing the complaints. His faith was going south. And then God stepped in. See, God does that. You know that. God stepped in. And Bonhoeffer finally got a letter. Actually, the letter had been sent months ago. But his Nazi captors wouldn't give it to him. But one of them showing compassion that I believe the Lord gave him, gave Bonhoeffer his mail, and one of those letters he received was from his parents, written months ago. And his parents said, Son, God still loves you. Your wife and children still love you, and we still love you. Don't you ever forget that. In, a, in prison, out of prison, with you or without you, we still love you. God used that letter to open up Bonhoeffer's eyes, to turn his faith back around. And in the last months of his life, he would be once again a giant of faith, assured of God's love, his family's love. He would be hung one week before the war would end. The Nazis would hang him. But he died with blessed assurance. I say all of that to say this in closing. It's all right to ask your questions. It's okay to air your complaints. It's okay to have your doubts, your fears. But if you will wait on God, He will send blessed assurance to you. He will remind you He loves you. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows your family. He knows your nation. He knows the world in which you live. And help is on the way. And we have won. So don't fret. <laughs> we have won. Turn to the last chapter. And may it bring joy to your heart. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.